Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bard's Backlog. We are the ever-growing catalog of video games inducted to the Hall of Games. We are the gatekeepers and subsequent executioners of any video game candidate, including today's. I am hosting, as a shock to all of you, I'm sure, and Josh will be the co-host for today. Hello, ye happy few on the other end of this podcast recording. Find us on Twitter, at VideoGameBard for Josh and at Jared T. Ben for myself. And we appreciate your input and support. And if you have any games that you're super interested in, please tell us about them. Tell us why you love them. And uh, maybe we can cover one of them on the podcast. You can support this podcast by giving our social media posts a like, following us there, or on your podcast service of choice, and by dropping a review for us on Apple Podcasts. We accept all honest reviews, but only five-star ones. Indeed. Last time, uh, we talked about our game of the year. Uh, and each of us chose a game of the year, as well as plenty of other honorable mentions. We had a great time with that podcast. It was long and detailed, just how I like it. I don't know if Josh enjoys long, long podcasts. Oh, I definitely enjoy yeah. myself a long podcast. Yeah, I, I do love a good multiple hour long podcast. So it was it was good stuff. And this time around, we are talking about... I'm going to save it for later. But first, the games we play in. Now, Josh, this is a segment that we reserve for our audience to tell them the games that we're interested in, but, you know, maybe they show up later as a topic of uh, a candidate into the Bard's Backlog Hall of Games, or maybe they're just something we're into casually. So tell us about the game you are playing. I see one here, but if you're playing more than that, go ahead, tell us yeah, about it. Yeah, no, um, as far as my gaming habits recently are going right now, I am playing primarily Miles Morales. I've still been dipping into Hades every now and then. I actually finished my first run through of that, so that was awesome. Going to totally be playing that probably for the next five years, to be honest. Just that much fun to just go back to and enjoy. So that's kind of off and on. And then I was playing Final Fantasy VII Remake. I still am here and there. Um, whenever I get the inkling to do so, but haven't been putting as much time into it recently. I dropped it down to, I don't think it's called story mode, but it's just the easier version of if you just want to see the story sort of thing. The combat in it is really good, really refined. I really enjoy it, but it was getting to that point that JRPGs get to where it's like you really got to be paying attention to like the you know, the weaknesses that the enemy has, if he's weak to fire or something like that. And you can't just slash your way through. You got to use a little more strategy. And I was like, all right, wasn't super in the mood for that. So I just kind of knocked it down and have been enjoying the story uh, in the meantime, but haven't been playing that a lot, at least not this last week. This last week, I have been playing Miles Morales, which I got for my birthday. So um, wasn't ever really planning to pick it up until I saw it on a sale, but my in-laws sent me some money and I had just enough to pick it up. So I was like, let's go for it. So I picked it up. Uh, it's really fun. If you've played Marvel's Spider-Man, the one that was released in 2018, I believe it's the same thing, same engine and everything, same smooth gameplay, tons of uh, 
really nice touches that they add here with Miles as the main character because he has a couple of extra abilities that Peter Parker doesn't. But otherwise, it's just been a nice kind of return to that. And I'm enjoying the story. It's actually more interesting than I was expecting. And yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong just swinging around the city. So I've been having a good time doing that. I don't think it's super long, so I'm expecting to wrap it up within the next week or so. But that's pretty much what I've been focusing on recently. Now, I'm unclear on this. Is Miles Morales in addition to the 2018 game, like a DLC, or is it an entirely different game? So it's a so Sony has been encouraging their studios. I'm not sure where they got this idea to basically take their main AAA games and then do an alternative to that. So like Interesting. So like Uncharted when Uncharted 4 released within the next couple of years Naughty Dog released Uncharted Lost Legacy, which was a they sold it for 40 bucks as opposed to 60 and it was using the same engine as Uncharted 4, but it had different characters, different you know environments and a different story and everything and they did the exact same thing here basically of course it's not naughty dog it's insomniac but they took marvel spider-man and that was its own 60 dollar experience with its own dlc yeah and now they're making miles morales here as its own separate smaller adventure yep but it's a standalone technically but it's using all the same assets so it's kind of dlc kind of um, but it's technically standalone. So you purchase it on its own and it has its own like flares to it, but it's the same city, you know, it's still New York. You can't really change that. Right. I'm actually really interested to see if how they're going to handle that in the future, like with, with a sequel, because it, it, you can't change New York city, you know, yeah. over the, I mean, unless they do something drastic to it. I don't know. Maybe they have something up their sleeve, but I'm thinking they would probably do Wild 2 in Spider-Man 2 when they do release an official sequel to the thing, do it in London or something like that. You know, have Spider-Man like Far From Home like the movie did and just kind of change the location because a big appeal of both the 2018 Spider-Man game and Miles Morales is the city. Yes, swinging around it. And they do a little bit of distinction here in Miles because they have it set during Christmas. So that's a different feel to it. Um, But it's still all the same buildings, you know. So they can't really change a whole lot in that regard. But yeah, uh, it's not technically DLC, but you could slot it in there. Okay, I see, I see, yeah. You know, that's an interesting, my mind is racing. The first thing it goes to is like a new business model. Like games do this anyway. They use the same engine like, some there, there was a game that was released in 2020 that still used the Unreal Engine, and we were all like, "What is wrong with you? That's an old, old <laughs> engine." I can't remember the name of the game though, but it was it was like, "Ah, oh, why?" But it, my, now my mind is thinking like, "Look, just take the bones of the game and make a new adventure." We really always go for the flashy, new, slightly different version of what's already familiar and established. Mm. That's why you and I, well, me probably more than you, but we'll, we'll get to it. Liked Immortals Phoenix Rising so much is like, it felt sure. so familiar. It was just a slightly different adventure tacked onto an already familiar framework. So I'm, now my mind is racing, like drop the price, give me a new adventure on an old platform rather. Uh, platform is not the right word, but you see what I'm saying. Yeah. And like how many different variations can you come up with something that I love? You Absolutely. Know? So that's very interesting. Now my mind's thinking about it. So Miles Morales, the hype, obviously, is that um, Miles dipping his toe into the multiverse now is able to do things that traditional Spider-Man cannot do. 
Yeah. And how did you feel about that? I know you're it's a comic great. fan. I mean, yeah, they they incorporate his new abilities in really neat ways. And it does make this one feel like it, it's close to a sequel to Spider-Man in right. that way. But um, he still has the familiar web slinging and swinging and whatnot. Um, and it's it's also cool because Miles as a character is younger. Um, the Peter Parker in the game series anyway is a little bit more of a veteran. He's a little older. Um, knows what he's doing. He's been fighting these villains for a while now. And Miles gets introduced in the 2018 game. He's one of the side characters. Actually, spoilers for the game, but his father dies in a pretty important plot moment, and he gets more involved at that point. And he also gets bit towards the end of the game, of course, becoming a powered-up Spider-Man. And I think that's different from the comics, because I think in the comics, Miles doesn't have Peter Parker in his... Because he's the ultimate Spider-Man version. Gotcha, gotcha. alternate universe. Yep. Spider-Man. So this is a little different because you have both of them there. Um, and at the start of the game, you start out with Peter there and he's kind of training you. Yep. So Miles has a really unique feel to him because he's younger. He like Even when he's swinging, you can tell he's just like a little more awkward with it. Like the animations around him are a little bit That's different. That's so interesting. Yeah. And like when he's falling, he, he'll like, it'll be like a little bit more of a nervous fall. Um, and then they, just because he wasn't introduced as an actual spider-man until the end of 2018 they now in this game are beginning to show you that he has these abilities that peter parker doesn't um and so he begins to use those and he's taking center stage here because peter has gone on vacation you know narratively they just kind of got him out of the way for this yeah um and so he's kind of keeping new york safe while peter is gone and so he's starting to have to take on some of the responsibility here and it's fun to watch and explore that aspect. And as far as the new powers are concerned, they implement them incredibly well into the uh, combat and stuff. And even just the story and how he solves problems because he just has to, he does it differently because he has these different abilities than yep. Peter would have. So there's the Venom, um, which is like electricity, basically like bioelectricity is what they call it. And then he has a cloaking power. So that makes stealth really easy in the game you can just like whack one person disappear right in front of everyone they'll they'll be like where do you go and then you can zip away and then you can wait for them to calm down and you go and smack them again um so that works pretty well and then within the combat you can electrify your punches and take out big dudes really easily stuff like that so it's nice i think they do a really good job of incorporating it and narratively it's been fun to see him kind of discover that and then start to use those. And I don't think he's told Peter about them yet because Peter hasn't been back. So I'm curious to see how that goes forward. But it's been really nice. And yeah. I'm enjoying it. It's unique. It's still, like I said, it's still, it does feel like DLC in a lot of ways. But they're doing a lot of different things that are just enough, I think, to put it on its own level. So I'm, yeah. I'm liking it. So would you rather uh, a completely new experience once every two years? Or would you rather multiple different experiences of something that you're familiar with maybe a couple times a year. Now that sounds like a lot, but I'm just thinking from a development perspective. Yeah. We do have to wait a long time for big releases, right? Right. And then sometimes they're disappointing as opposed to something like, from what I understand, um, Far Cry, Grand Theft Auto, you know, Spider-Man a little bit, um, building on things they've already created and thus able to relaunch things because it's, it's familiar. They have the bones down. You yeah. Know what I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's either or, in my opinion, it depends on the developer. It depends on how they want to handle it with, with something like an open world Spider-Man game. I would 
I would probably lean more towards like wait and put out the big releases more mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. It works well with Miles, but you know, I, I couldn't see it being like an every two year thing, to be honest. I could see it getting stale at that point. I see. Okay. Now others yeah. other franchises have done that. Right. Assassin's Creed yeah. was annualized for a while there. Yep. Every year they had a different Assassin's Creed. It was the same bones, but it was a different map. And they had the, you know, uh, opportunity and chance because of the fact that that is just like you can place it wherever you want in history to build a fresh new location. And that was the big draw. Um, Call of Duty is every year. Yep. It's the same, same bones. bones. Yeah. Same bones, yeah. same stuff, but they'll, you know, they'll have a new setting you know it's either cold war setting or futuristic and then they'll have different weapons around that and then a different campaign obviously so but it's still just call of duty every year i do get the sense i don't know it's it's one or the other i feel like and both are fine um in their own separate ways i guess yeah yeah so the uh so you've been playing playing miles morales you know what um the younger spider-man has been done it depends on how they frame it, right? So there's like a cartoon 1994 to 1995 Spider-Man was big, hulking, like 22-year-old Spider-Man. He's a beast of a dude. Right. Really, like, he kind of looked more like Batman in his frame. He was a bigger guy. And then you have uh, the nerdy Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, right? Kind of like the right. do- dopey social punk, right? Who never has his social life right. And then I also think, you know, Miles Morales, of course. One of my favorite Spider-Man games uh, is Ultimate Spider-Man from the PlayStation, not PlayStation, GameCube uh, is what ha- the platform I played it on. It looked like Borderlands in its texture. Like it looked that comic book kind of feel. And it was dark. It was edgy. It was super fun. I, that was my favorite Is that Spider-Man the one with game. Venom? Yeah. You get to play as Venom, which to me was mind boggling. I was like, I get yeah. to play as a villain, you know? That was super dope. So Yeah. I mean, if they did something like, like that's the thing. Um, my mind goes immediately to the Batman games. I don't yes. know how many of those you've played. Just but... the Arkham Asylum and then the Arkham City, I think. Okay. Yeah, so, that's really it. Like you have Batman as your base character, but they started to incorporate some of the other heroes, Robin and Nightwing yeah. and Catwoman even became a, a major role, I think, in City. I think you can play as her in City. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. It's been a hot minute, though. <laughs> so, so like in that way, having different characters certainly would keep things fresh. But I don't know. In in the case of Marvel Spider Man from Insomniac, I like that they did this with Miles Morales. It works pretty well. It, from what I understand, is a really great showpiece for the PS Five because it was kind of built for that. Yep. I'm playing on a PS Four, so I'm not getting the sure nice sleek up-res graphics, fast loading stuff that's going on with the PS5. But I like that they're taking a little bit of time to, you know, have a launch game here. But I would think they would probably be best served by waiting a little bit longer for the sequel and putting their time into that as opposed to just throwing in new characters or what have you in the same skeleton of a game. Makes sense. Makes sense. But I mean, like... Quality over quantity. Yeah, and, and... and that even makes me think of Breath of the Wild 2 a little bit. Yep. Because that one, Breath of the Wild, is all about the world that you're in. It's yes. all about those certain power-ups. And now with Breath of the Wild 2, I I'm hoping for another world map, you know? Like, that's kind of that's kind of the feel I'm getting is, like, a, or that I'm hoping for anyways, like a large upgraded um, abilities and adding in a, a different place to explore because that was like the huge appeal i think for the original one was the world itself 
So I'm hoping they go in that direction with it as opposed to, you know, just busting something out within two years on the same engine yeah. and keeping it on the same map sort of feel. Yeah. So I don't know that I'd be as happy to see the same map knowing that it's, you know, just a new adventure in the same place. Um, yeah, I, I, I could easily see that getting stale. But so today, um, well, I'll just briefly mention the, the two games that I'm playing here. I'm playing a ton of Immortals Phoenix Rising. I love it. It's, it's that conversation we're talking about. It feels familiar. It feels safe. It feels fun. Uh, absolute time killer. It's varied. It's one of those games that like really triggers your desire to collect things. Yeah. Because the map is so densely packed that you're just like, oh, there's a chest over here. I'll play for five more minutes. Oh, but there's like some ambrosia right over here. I'll play that. So I've been playing a ton of that because it's so addictive. Um, and then I've been playing a very simple uh, racing game called Asphalt Legends for the Switch. It was a free download when I got it. Um, it might not be free anymore, but very simple. Um, just good stuff. You know, the 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 drifting, the racing, the high engine, car, the the sleek, sexy, curvy cars. Uh, very simple, very enjoyable. Um, love that, that stuff. Is that standard just racing game fair is it arcadey is there like power-ups and stuff you know it's kind of like a collage of all racing games put together all collectible games put together so you actually collect cards like trading cards to unlock new vehicles okay you also can spin your car in a 360 while and knock your opponent out and you can also Hmm. um do barrel rolls in the sky from like these like these jumps that you know twist your car you know like they had in the Grand Theft Auto races, like in those sure. those weird things. Mm-hmm. Um, so the so you can do that, but it's all played in like Barcelona, San Francisco. You race in Germany. Uh, you ra- all, but you also race down the Himalayas. So it's arcadey, but it's also takes place in the real world. I'm using air quotes, sorry. But uh, uh, it takes place in the real world. So it's kind of a mashup of all things you've seen in gaming before. You have the nitro, the boost, all that stuff. So. It's simple. It's definitely a mood game. Like, hey, I'm in the mood for some racing. This is my go-to. So, yeah, I enjoy it, and it's uh, it's refreshing, clean graphics, and it's fun. I have a question. Go ahead. About Immortals, and maybe we can talk about this when we actually a little more in depth when we decide to nominate it. Yes. For and the I hall. think that's a conversation that's still ongoing. Honestly, I sense some hesitation in your eyes, and after <laughs> playing it for so long, I have some reservations myself. Does it really even deserve to be nominated? But to be I decided. Think, I think we can totally talk about it. I mean, it's a sure. solid, solid game. But I was just curious how you feel like it, if in direct comparison to Breath of the Wild, stands up. It's It doesn't stand up from a, and we'll use this term a lot because I think we've, we've defined it pretty well in this podcast. And I think you guys get the sense of why we use it. But it doesn't stand up in the bones. The game actually crashed on me yesterday. Okay. Yes. So in the bones, like I never had that happen with Breath of Wild. Right. There was there was two places in the map that I found after hours and hours and hours of playing Breath of the Wild that glitched. And they were only glitchy from a certain camera angle. It's just a solid game. There's no problems with it. It never glitches. Uh, I never have a problem with stop, uh, stop motion or freezing or, or whatever else. Phoenix, I've had a couple issues with. Um, once you get to the higher levels, you start getting pretty boss sauce and you're like, pretty unstoppable at that point there's so many moving parts that the game lags a little bit maybe that's just the switch i don't know i'm um, sure it's certainly part of it yeah but because i don't think i had mine crash at all okay yeah no, no full-on crashes i would have a little bit of slowdown like when there's 12 dudes that you're fighting yeah. and you're swinging around and all the particle effects and stuff are going on yep so 
I think uh, aside from that, though, and we can get more into this, as it holds up, it's hard to say. The tone of the game is totally different, but I'm really enjoying the plot, Mm -hmm. really enjoying all the characters and the dialogue. It's refreshing. It's fast-paced. It's more like, man, this is a horrible way to say it. It's more like an immediate hit of... uh, it's, it's hard to phrase. It's more like an immediate burn, an immediate hit of what you need than it is a slow, drawn-out, enjoyable process. It's more like... I, th- I get what you mean. Yeah, it's more like drinking a cup of instant coffee than it is making a pot of tea, if that makes sense. So it's 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 enjoyable, but for a different reason. So we'll do some more comparison, but... I- yeah, that's, that's like the appeal that I would say an Assassin's Creed has over Red Dead Redemption 2. Yes. Red Dead is like... You're living that thing. Yes. You're seeing the sights. You take the time to like clean your guns yep. and um, like get a haircut and do all this very specific stuff that makes you feel like you're living in the world. Whereas Assassin's Creed is like that objective. I do the thing. I kill the guys. Yes. I get the goodies from that. Yep. Oh, there's another objective over there. Okay. And it's just like you're getting those hits over and over and over. And it's just a lot more shallow, but just great at the same time. And they're different vibes. So I can totally see why that would be appealing. Yeah. But it's good stuff. So, Josh, we always have a default segment on our podcast. Time to lean back. We are doing this podcast from (laughs) the comfort of my half-packed-up living room. But we get to sit our tushes on some nice, pleasant Walmart furniture. We are chilling. We are chilling. Slightly different from previous podcasts where we are intensely focused and sitting at the table and (laughs) so josh i have a question in our relaxed state now what motivates you this question of motivation is such a difficult one to tackle because if you ask anyone who's fit or a fitness expert or a life coach they're gonna be like motivate right ah just go no excuses just conquer and it seems to be like the bull running through the field as opposed to the person stepping carefully between rows Mm. um And the end goal is sometimes messier, but sometimes maybe that kick in the pants is what you need to get going. This whole idea of motivation, it's like, oh, is it a thing that you can control? Is it a mindset? What, where do you get hyped in your motivation? How do you get prepped to do something? How do you, how do you up your motivation game so you can get things accomplished? I, I am driven by just the satisfaction of a full day. I think uh, most of the time and that that works on both short-term motivation and long-term motivation for me because I know if I can accomplish what I need to today that'll work toward whatever that end goal is that I want Um, whether that is say getting in shape I know that that's going to be a daily process of working on that and so I am I am when I get up in the morning and I'm getting ready for the day right now my life's a little bit different than like I wouldn't say I'm I'm motivated to go to work necessarily. Like that's not I'm not getting jazzed up about that and there isn't any sort of external thing or even internal thing to do it. But I know when I get up in the morning it's it's okay. I have this first task that I'm going to do. Let's jump into that. Let's get it done and then let's move on to the next thing and I I like getting that momentum built and keeping it rolling and then at the end of the day just vegging out chilling out having feeling that feeling of accomplishment um so 
and and when I think of motivation outside of just the day to day, it's hard to pinpoint because there's a lot of different things I think that motivate me. You know, um, wanting to take care of my wife motivates me. Wanting to um, fulfill some goal of mine motivates me. And again, that's even on the long term side of things. So, say I I, I want to write a book, which I do, and I have started one that's a motivation to get something done right now, but that's going to take six months, eight months, two years, whatever it may be to get that done. Um, and then, you know, mild things motivate me like my desires. Um, if, if I'm completely honest, I feel like sometimes I have things that are motivating me in the wrong direction yeah for sure <laughs> if that makes sense well that's kind of what i was gonna ask you because like some people live for the weekend like they yeah they, they think about the weekend as a, as a swimmer takes a breath of air they're like ah, oh, air and then they have to go back to the grind so they don't think about it so they can get through it so they can get to the end and mm-hmm. i i wonder if you're the same way or does the the like maybe the does the grind ever appeal to you does it depend on what you're doing certainly no yeah i and you know i I'm trying to figure out more about myself a lot now. I I am a different person than I was even a year ago. And so what motivated me in college isn't going it just isn't right. the same thing anymore for right. me. Yeah. I do live for the weekend especially during the semester. I'm going to be honest, I just I do um a lot of the time. And getting through the grind is is tough and that is one of the main things I'm looking for, but I, it's, it's the grind itself too, that I find enjoyable at times. Um, I like when I'm, so I I work as a full-time sub bus driver right now. And as a sub driver, I'm not always driving, but I have to be on the clock and I have to be on a bus. One of the other there's, I think there's 12 buses that we have, um, at PCA. And so I'm going to be sitting in one of those buses in the morning, even if I'm not driving, so when I'm actually driving, though, I find that to be enjoyable. I find that to be something I'm, I'm accomplishing. I'm, make, I'm following a route. I'm staying focused while, you know, on the road so that I keep the kids safe and everything. And then when I get to the end of that, they all get out. And that's just that's good. And that gets me motivated to then do the next thing, get ready to go teach. Um, I really enjoy teaching. I like the build up to that. I like the preparation. And then during that, I get, I just get a certain energy about me that I feel like I um, then use to ride the rest of the day with. Right. So it's like the, those are what would make up the grind for me. Yeah. And those individual aspects all I'd say are enjoyable and get me into a mindset of, okay, what else can I accomplish? Yeah. Um, I've been trying to in the evening, like make sure I go for a run, like keep that energy going and then um, put some time aside as well to write and to read and um, using those steps to cascade down to the other, I think works pretty well for me. And then I have the weekend as a, as a enjoyable little treat, small goals set, set out throughout the day. And that's how you keep your energy up. Okay, next goal, next goal, next small goal, right? Yeah. Okay. And I I notice a difference when I don't hit one or the other. Yeah. Like when I don't drive in the morning, I'm a lot less motivated because I haven't necessarily felt any sort of accomplishment. Yeah, that makes to sense. To then go into the teaching part of right, my right. day um, and so on and so forth. Like if I have a day off, 
zero motivation zero. To, <laughs> to write to get anything or done. To, yeah. yeah, to get anything yeah. done. So what about you? What motivates you? You know, that's a good question. I think um, for me, actually, just getting up in the morning is the first victory. If I can get up at like eight or so, yeah. for whatever reason, my mind can relax a bit more because I have more of my day. But working late at night makes that more difficult. So I've been forgiving myself for not accomplishing as much during the day. But yeah, for sure. I actually have to have a, a physical list that I like cross off. Yeah. Because that hit of dopamine every time you slash through something um, makes me feel good and motivates me to do more. Um, and of course, I have to find that perfect balance between like, you know, uh, being a dictator to myself, like, oh, you got to get this much done. And sometimes I'll stress myself out because I'm, I'm too, I'm imposing too much on myself. Mm -hmm. So I have to find that balance. But motivating for me, uh, typically in my life, when I've been the most physically fit, it's easier to find motivation. I don't know if it's just because the blood's pumping more, the chemicals are flowing more. I'm not sure why that is, but, um, yeah, certainly I think physical fitness helps and, um, and uh, then I think conversations, good, deep conversations motivate me more than almost anything else. Like, Interesting. I've, I've adopted that into my life purpose, actually. So it's it's something that like really fuels me up. So, um, yeah, that's that's one thing. Would you do you have any tips or tricks for motivating like, <laughs> little small things? Man, I don't know if I'm the person to ask for that. Everyone I, is different, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, getting that morning going. I'd say is is vital. Like, do you think sticking with a morning routine? A routine. Okay, that's what I was gonna ask yep, you. Yeah, the routine. Like setting something up and sticking with it gets those wheels turning, and then that's you, true. drives you into the day. And it's like a goal thing too. It's like I accomplished my morning routine. Check. Even right? if that's just like, hey, get up, jump in the shower right away. Try not to think about it. Like, shamble over <laughs> there. Get in there. Wake yourself up a little bit. Make your cup of coffee. Sit down yeah. with a book or something. Like tiny things like that, five minutes, 10 minutes, and then boom, now you're getting into the main part of your day. Those little things are, I think, integral to keeping you motivated as you start into the meat of what you're like supposed to be doing for that day, whatever it is. Um, and everyone's morning routine is different. Everyone's life is a little bit different. I know when I worked security and I was working in the middle of the night, the morning routine was a nightmare. Oh, and it yeah. did not... But I, I could tell a difference in the way that the rest of my day worked. So I get, that would be the main tip I could think of off the top of my head for motivation. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. What about you? For me, uh, it's that hard list for sure. Uh, and I think um, sticking to a routine, but also doing something well, you know, really, really motivates me. So if I am having trouble finding motivation, I will go do something well. And sometimes it's as simple as like a household chore. Mm -hmm. I'll go do the dishes and that pleases me to see everything put away. The sink is clean. The countertop is clean. Uh, dinner is clean. All the dishes are put away. All that stuff. Um, that motivates me. Doing something small well kickstarts me into getting things going. Another uh, trick that I use is like, I'll just, I'll just work on it for five minutes. I'll tell myself that I'll work on it for five minutes. And normally within the first five minutes, I'll either get a bare amount done or I'll kick my brain into the gear it needs to be in to keep working on it. So uh, I'll either have worked for five minutes or I'll have given myself the fuel to work for longer than that. So mm -hmm. Yeah, just, taking breaks, de-stressing is yeah. important. Focusing on your day is another thing I would say. Like, Don't get overwhelmed by the tasks of the week, yep. by the tasks of the month. That can be really easy to just be focused on and then everything else just begins to fall apart. It's like that meme of like, 
I have all these things that I have to do. Like everything's piling up. So I decided to take a nap. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> it's like that's and that's a real struggle. And that's why I think a morning routine is important. But then also like when it's Monday, focus on Monday. Do what you can right now in the moment. Tomorrow is past or tomorrow. Yesterday is past. So don't worry about the past like that is behind you now. And don't worry about tomorrow necessarily. Now, it is good to prepare for that, obviously. But as far as the specific tasks of that day, focus on that day and hit those out of the park. And then the next day, you know, then you focus on Tuesday. Yeah. After you've gotten Monday out of the way. Yeah. Sometimes I get I struggle because I dream too much. I'm dreaming of that 10 year plan, that five year plan. I'm dreaming of the kids I'm going to have in the future. It's like, no, no, no. Right now, focus on right now. Yeah. So, no, I'm totally with you. So that was our default segment, and I, I really appreciate that. You know, Josh is uh, one of those people that always seems to have something done the next time I talk to him, and I'm just the exact opposite. My life falls apart more and more <laughs> every time we talk. So I wanted to get his wisdom. So our pick for a potential entry into the Hall of Games is a game that has surprised both of us in different ways. Josh first suggested this game to me um how long months and months ago it was last year early last year yeah when we started this podcast i had a list of games that i didn't necessarily show jared but i had in mind Mm -hmm. to discuss um and this one along with other jrpgs kind of sat at the bottom of the list as potential hopefuls in my mind yep that i needed to i was prepared to convince jared to take on yes and this one came out last year, so it was right at the top of that list. It was perfect. And, of course, our candidate to be possibly entered into the Hall of Games to be decided, as we are the gatekeepers of such decisions, is Xenoblade Chronicles. I'm excited. Or as Josh says the name, Xenoblade Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, I'm actually not, I, you told me I was wrong and I probably am wrong, so we'll go with that. But uh, that is our pick of the week. I don't for, know, uh, man. We uh, When I listened back to, I don't know if it was this last episode or the one before, I think I pronounced it both ways. Okay. <laughs> right in the middle of it. So we are knows? accepting of all pronunciations in this <laughs> podcast here. We are non-discriminatory. So yes, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles is a massive world game that takes place on two giant creatures and the individuals that live on the bionis which is a uh biology based creature as as in um organic and you know bio that whole that whole concept stands as opposed to the mechanis which is a mechanical based creature and the you the story follows shulk who you may be familiar with from smash brothers he's a character on smash brothers yep and uh, it follows his adventure from the Bionis uh, all the way to the Mechonis and everything that happens in between. And what does it mean about these two giant living um, uh, machine creature things that they live on? And what does it all mean and everything? And Are so, they living? So that's a good question. I said it and then I hesitated in my head for the exact reason you're asking. Because they are, as you find out later, um, controlled in a sense. Uh, but I think they also, because they sustain life, they kind of have to be living a little bit. Like the Bionis has, you go into the Bionis and you're in the lungs and you fight antibodies at one point. So I'm not, I kind of want to say yes, but then what's the answer for the Mechonis, which is the 
the metal creature. I don't know. Well, and they're both dormant. Exactly. From what I understand. Like, the the game starts out, and it's a JRPG. If you know anything about JRPGs, they are very convoluted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> intentionally so. Yeah, yes. and this one, I think, does a really great job. I mean, just diving into the setup and the premise here of giving you a world that is... Uh, on one hand, kind of bizarre, obviously different from our own, but on the other hand, that just makes it intriguing and interesting, and you want to learn more about that, and you begin to learn more about it as you go along. And it starts out with the story of these two giant beings. They're fighting. They're in a like everlasting battle for a period of time, and then I th- I'm pretty sure they go dormant. Now, I haven't finished the story personally and i'm just going to say that right now so some of the details jared will be better able to fill in on this particular episode but um they're dormant and then things start to live on them including humans including um robots and things like that and there's this whole scene where it really puts into perspective how big these things are at the very start of the game these two factions are fighting and they meet on this it looks like this giant bridge and then they're you know going about and you you have a whole battle and you're introduced to a bunch of the mechanics and then at the end of that there's a cutscene of like one of the main characters charging against the enemy and it just zooms out and it turns out this bridge that they're on is actually one of the swords mm-hmm. that this giant being is wielding. And it's only on one tiny section of this ginormous sword. Yes. And then throughout the game, you're just taking different, you're going to different parts of these giant beings. And it's a really cool setting. I'd say like off the what, bat, it, yeah. it puts this game in a place that um, really is super unique to any type of setting i think in anything like books uh, movies i have never certainly I, video yeah, games i have never heard of this kind of uh setting before the world of this setting before as in like human beings are merely just uh creatures that exist on this giant being and um before we go any further i have to uh and we'll talk about this more i have to say that the reason this uh, came as a surprise it affected josh and i in different ways is because it was josh's idea to play this game and then when we first started out i remember texting josh saying i hate this game because the <laughs> comment was the, the combat excuse me was so new to me mm. and he he just laughed because he knew what i was talking about but he was much more familiar with jrpgs come to find out um josh not having finished the story which is uh, not faulting josh at all uh there's been plenty of times we've talked about a game where I haven't finished the story or he hasn't finished the story. And we like Nino Kuni, I don't think either of us finished that story for that, no. that game um, because we'd had enough of it. Okami, same thing where like we reviewed it and that was good. But the, the, the whole premise of this game um, I think took me and just, I ran with it. I loved it. I yeah. fell in love with it. And then Josh describe for me, like what it was like to fall out of love th- with this game. I don't think I have, fallen out of love necessarily um what happened was i i just dropped off playing it we started to discuss covering it in june i want to say yep sounds right last year which is when it was released i'm pretty sure um so i picked it up i started playing it i dedicated time to it i kind of put all the other games on the side and I was putting a lot of hours into it. And then in July, I just had this big move going on. I moved out here to Florida and I got away from it. 
Um, another game grabbed my interest. I think at that time it was Ghost of Tsushima, and then I just stopped playing it. So it wasn't like it wasn't like I had something against it, and it wasn't like I lost interest in the world. Um, but by the time I turned back around to try to jump back into it, it's it's such a in depth game like the systems the lore um what was happening with all the different characters and whatnot which is a testament to the game's strengths i'd say um that it it was just like not off-putting but a little overwhelming to me in the in the trying to get back into it um when i was trying to get back into it so i i just stopped trying to and, and quite honestly if i do try to play this game again i'll probably start from the beginning um, and go from there because I want to get it's it's a game that you want to just kind of like lose yourself in and and absorbing all the different things and it's so intricate in the gameplay um, it's it's got all kinds of crazy and we'll talk about this but like just systems that are built into that all have these different nuances to them and when you get pulled out of that it's just like hard to just jump back into it it's not a game you just jump into yes um, and that's how JRPG is you really need to stick with those. Like when I played through Persona 5, I would have been at a horrible loss and would have not been able to finish that game if I stopped playing it. Yeah. I had to force myself to continue to dive in, not every day, but you know, at least a couple times every week and make sure I was putting in the hours and make sure that I was paying attention to the systems because those sorts of games are just so intricate to remove yourself from them. You can really just lose the connection um so that's what happened with me not necessarily any knock against the game i would say so, and i wouldn't say i fell out of love with it i i thoroughly enjoyed my time with it uh for sure so and, and i do want to talk about that time um in its in, in its light removed from the fact that i did stop playing it <laughs> yeah a little a little bit of history on the game the game was released originally for the wii u the wii the Wii, okay, all right. So it did go back as far as the Wii. And then in 2020 was released the definitive edition of Xenoblade Chronicles uh, for the Switch, which is how I was introduced to it. I did not play it on the Wii or Wii U. So um, it, it was uh, the definitive edition released in 2020. Um, and it, so it's an older game, but... And I think it feels like an older game a little bit. Like, a little bit. Yeah. To be honest, I... I thought they did a great job I agree. of updating it. The, the original came out in 2010. It wasn't even supposed to come out in the United States. I don't know if you knew this, Jared, but the only reason that it made its way over from Japan was because of a small group of fans who were petitioning for it. And um, I think they even had like a group of them go and like offer to translate the game and everything. And then at that point, Nintendo relented. So it wasn't even supposed to come over here. And they released it. It wasn't the biggest hit in the world, but it did better than they expected. Yeah. And then after that, they made Chronicles X on the Wii U, which I've heard is a phenomenal game as well. And then they remade Xenoblade Chronicles for the 3DS. They down-resed it. That was the first time I touched it, and it is not the way to play this game. <laughs> don't like, don't even try don't on the 3DS. It. Yeah, because it's, it's the game that you know, Jared, on the yeah. Switch, but it just looks crummy, and there's just it doesn't have that same pop and uh, appeal of the world that the switch version has. Yeah. And the switch version takes the original vision that was on the Wii 
and I think fully realizes it now that the technology is there to back it up. And yeah, in a lot of ways, you can tell it's old um, in the yeah. cutscenes sometimes. Yeah, you will notice. Yeah, but they did a really great job. If you go and see comparisons, like the the character models, even though they're not like you know Last of Us level of quality. They look much better than yeah. they didn't. Like they went in and did some serious work on this yeah. game. Um, same thing with the environments. Like those things are wondrous and magical. Even I would say in a lot of instances, in ways that the original Wii version I think got across. But now it's being able to be able be fully realized here on the Switch. Um, so yeah, I think they did a really great job with it, and they did all kinds of other improvements too. Um, to just how the flow of the game works. From what I understand, in the original game, when you had a marker on your map, so in the Switch one, whatever your objective is, there's a line on the ground yes. to that objective, and you you can and it moves along with you. In the original Wii one, you didn't have that. There was just an arrow, um, and you could pull up the map and see where it was, but otherwise it was just on a little like dial above you and so you kind of had to guess at where it was and you, it didn't um it didn't translate to if something was above you and there's a lot of verticality in the game yes so i from what i understand on the Wii they people had a really hard time just getting around even figuring out where they were supposed to go so like something like that they updated here and made it much more smooth and made the game far more enjoyable because of that. So they did a really great job with this definitive edition, and it is indeed the way to play this game. Totally agree. They gave it a massive, uh, pretty good-looking facelift, and uh, it's one of the most successful Botox jobs I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, so totally agree with Josh. Um, you know, old games have this sense of nostalgia, but you know, what could what? How could you not love bringing what you love into the new age with a new facelift and everything like that? Josh, this game does a couple of things really, really well, um, but it also has some unique aspects to it. I want to I want to talk about what did you think about the combat? Now you say JRPG, and uh, that means something to you because of your richer history with video games than to me. Mm-hmm. The combat to me was a shock. So if, could you out uh, outline the combat a little bit and maybe just uh, juxtapose it with some other systems? What do you think? Yeah, so Xenoblade is very unique in the JRPG genre um, in its combat specifically. I think that is where this game really actually shines over a lot of its peers. In a typical JRPG, going back to the 90s and even the 80s, you had turn-based, think Pokemon, think Dragon Quest, you run against an enemy and then you pick a move, attack, defend, or maybe you could flee or something like that. And then your enemy picks a move and you go back and forth and you play it in that way. That's typical JRPG setup. Persona 5 uses that um, with a very modern flair. Um, Final Fantasy VII Remake kind of uses some aspects of that, but then they also throw in some hack and slash and movement and live action to it. And then you have, over the course of JRPG history... Uh, introduction to different kinds of systems that either played on that or just tried to switch to a full um, real live action interacting um, interactive combat. Um, When I think of that, I think of Nino Kuni. um, Yes. And Xenoblade here as well, sort of 
where you are seeing your character's actions play and you are picking you still are picking the specific attacks or spells or whatever it is that you want to throw but you are doing it while everything is moving at once you're not taking turns yes anymore and xenoblade does a really good job of taking that live interactivity and layering it with the moves and abilities that you can pull off as a party as your character um the game auto attacks so when you get into a a fight if you come across a monster or whatever you'll um, start that conflict and then as soon as you get close your character will automatically swipe at them and then at the bottom of the screen you have all your different moves that you can pull off and they change their effectiveness based on where you're standing so you you move around a lot with certain characters Um, And then they also change based on what moves have been played previously by other members of your party. Um, And so there's this interesting stacking effect that you need to get uh, the hang of. And there's a lot of small strategies that Xenoblade really um, you need and that Xenoblade starts to use very effectively to make this what seems like just randomly picking your abilities and just throwing them at this, you know, whatever monster enemy you're facing um, and, and elevates it to a really interesting and nuanced system of strategy that I found really enjoyable. But also, to be honest, complicated. Yes. And it could be difficult. Yeah. Um, and I could see why when you first start out, especially if you have no inkling as to how any JRPG works and you don't really know as certainly how Xenoblade's combat work works, um, it could be off-putting. And that's the first issue that you came across, right? I'm the type of person, yes, I'm the type of person that skips through tutorials because I assume I don't need them, right? And you can't do that <laughs> with this game. You cannot do that with this Absolutely game. Absolutely not. So that was part of my issue is like, ah, oh, man, I got to go back through the list of tutorials. Uh, towards the end of the game, um, you will have so many tutorials that you'll have a scrolling list yep. of... Uh, how to use your arts number one, how to use your arts number two, how do you use your arts number four point sub point A, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's really detailed and there are seven possible playable characters. Um, so the way the party system works is you play as whatever character you want to play as with its with their own unique abilities of which you get to select. As the game goes on, you unlock new abilities, right. you unlock new ways to play your character, different ways to attack, defend, et cetera, uh, different strengths, how you, how you want to... Uh, you know, lead your party, and then you're surrounded with only two other members of your party. At the end of the game, you'll have seven total members to choose from. You have all seven of them, um, and they you acquire them as you play more of the game. So um, we don't need to go through the list, but you start with two, get three, uh, four, five, six, seven, and then you're playing. I want to say you have to play through 75% of the story to get the final character. So it's quite significant the way the game builds and allows you to incorporate these new characters. Um, and essentially what you will do is attack, uh, auto attack and instruct your other members on how to attack in rotation. You're doing all of this in live and the, the baddie that you're trying to attack is, I want to say, so you know how in smash brothers you have this guttural sound and punch when you punch someone, it's like smack and the body reacts and everything like that yeah this game is slightly different in the sense that you're attacking like the sphere of the character right it's like certainly it's like damage will come down but you don't see gushing blood or anything like that so it very is much it, it very much is a a style of 
it's the system that you are strategizing just as much during the battle as you do before it. And it's very heavily dependent on a leveling system, which I found unique, which is you have to be within a couple levels of the enemy you're facing to even have a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they're ranged in difficulty, even if they're one or two levels above you. So uh, if it's something super easy, it's you know one hit and they're done. But the the way the game is uh, is made is that like man, if you if you are too far removed from your foe, you can't even touch them. There's this big concept of like agility. Anyway, I say all of that. I'm rambling on to say that it's complex. It's, yes. <laughs> it's, it's difficult to get the hang of, and you really do have to let yourself learn through the frustration of it. I would say the game is as rich as you allow it to be, and if you want to master all seven characters, more power to you. I pick and chose. I chose about three people. I'm like, these three people, that's good enough for me. I don't like really playing as anyone else. Yeah, and um, they're all different. They're all different. Shulk's very well-rounded. Yep. But then Dunban has his own different strategies. Yep. Ricky's a super weird character that has moves that you got to, you know, optimize and use correctly if you want to have any kind of fun with him. Yes. Um, and then who's the chick with the sniper? I can't think Charla. of her she, She's very much like towards the back. Yep. And firing and assisting and healing. Um, and then you have Ryan, who is the powerhouse in the front. And so, like, you have all these different mini strategies and mini moves within the battle and yeah all of that is overwhelming and if you're not paying attention to how the different um moves work and how the different parts of the battle will play out things like the aggro system or the the level of your your enemy um or there's even i I don't remember what it's called but there's like the is it affinity chart or whatever yeah to be honest, like that thing, I don't even think I fully figured out. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of obtuse, but like all of these little things all play together. And yeah, if you're not paying attention to those tutorials, if you're not taking the time to learn this thing, it'll immediately turn you off from it. Because you won't know what's going on. And yeah. there, there'll, there's going to be an easily accessible way to play the game. If you stick with the main character and you try to hack and slash your way through it, um, eventually it will just become, all right, here's the wall. You can't jump over it. But as soon as you master affinity and then you master gem crafting or power ups and then you master the weapons you're using and the armor and stacking and and uh, incorporating your gems into your armor and choosing um, which play which players to combine right. to, to strategize against a certain opponent. And if your opponent is a flying opponent or an air or a ground opponent, uh, does it have spike damage? Does it have is it a, a robot, you know? So, so many different layers to this game. Just to give you a feel, let me walk you through a quick battle. I'm going to say, all right, I'm playing as Shulk. I have uh, Ryan as my right-hand guy and then Charlotte. There's a big chunk of the game where you play mostly those three characters. Yeah. So, um, that's that's our setup, right? Charlotte is more of a heal character unless, as you get later on in the game, you get um, like buffs and debuffs. Man, my mind is spinning with all these different comp- <laughs> these different ideas, but it's complicated. It, but essentially, essentially, what will happen is Ryan is the heavy tank character. Um, he will go up and attract most of the aggro. The aggro is uh, an enemy's desire to hit someone, and they target one member at a time. It's their focus. It's their focus, right? So you, if you're playing stroke, have to position yourself specifically around the creature, mostly on the opposite side of Ryan. He's taking all the damage, you attack from behind. Yeah, and as Shulk, you don't want to have the aggro, the focus of yes. the enemy on you. But you also don't want it on Sharla. 
Right. Which means that when you level up your characters, you don't want to make Charlotte or a support character too powerful mm-hmm. because the little damage that they do do will draw too much aggro. And then you're like, oh, I get so much going on. <laughs> so typical battle, I go up, I'm Shulk, I attack from behind, I get the bonus damage. Then I activate an aura, which upgrades my physical attacks. Ryan is, during this whole phase, busy attacking using his heavy hit so that he draws almost all the aggro. Hopefully, I've given him enough gems on his armor that his strength is up so his attacks are really effective so he keeps the aggro, right? Then Shulk has to auto-attack a couple times because that'll refill my special ability, the Monado, and then I can uh, slash against the enemy and and use a debuff, which brings their strength down. The entire time this is going on, Charlotte is in the back shooting heal bullets. It's kind of an odd. You shoot your friend and heals them. (laughs) Um, I wish that worked in real life. Um, But shooting heal bullets at one or the other, and if you're dealing with multiple enemies, you're just trying to balance so many different things at once. And it can easily be the case that you can make yourself OP and be able to take down characters that are like two or three levels above you easily if you have the right gems, if you have the right equipment, if you know the right skill positions, if you know who who to put where and how to position them. Or you could make your life miserable by not knowing any of that stuff and just like, why am I losing all the time? So unfortunately and fortunately, the richness of the game is the devil in the details. Absolutely. And that, if you're not, if, so Josh mentioned something really earlier, uh, really interesting earlier. He said, I put it on story mode and that's because he just wanted to enjoy himself, right? And this game does have a casual mode and it does have, um, uh, you know, an easier an easier th- way to play about the mode. So there is ways to do it, but it's one of those things where if you put in all the time to learn the systems and learn the the combat and the reason we're focusing so much on combat is because it takes up so much of the quote unquote daily routine. It's one of those things that just takes front and center of everything that you do. It's the bulk of the game. It's the bulk of the game. Yeah. So it's super crucial and important uh, and what sets this game apart. So uh, incredibly complex. It's complex, but to be honest, it is so rewarding. Yes. It's really it sounds like it's like just annoyingly complicated but once you start to click with it it's a lot of fun and figuring out all the little minutia and strategy uh, though it does take a little bit of time and the game i think does a good job of getting you to a point um, at the start of the game where you can kind of you know feel yourself getting a little bit better at it Um, it helps you kind of ease into it but at the same time there is so much detail in there that um it 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 can be off-putting and and like when i first started it i i didn't know what was going on i couldn't figure out how the system was working i couldn't tell if what i was doing was effective or not if i was even making any sort of a difference i to be honest i went and watched a couple of videos on it um got a couple of strategy tips from people who have played it and after that my experience with it began to click. I began to realize some, you know, what I was doing wrong, how I could make things better. And once those things kind of fell into place, the game as a whole became immensely more satisfying. And so though this system is complex, the combat, it is like, there's no way to get around that. It is a core part of the game because when you can grasp it, it becomes, Fan, like a fantastic experience and 
it sets this game apart even from other JRPGs in that once you pass that hurdle, it is immensely satisfying, I would say. Um, but it does take a little bit of time. Yeah. Uh, it will take a little while to click. But once it does, that's one of the things I think about this game um, that, that I think this game has above a lot of its peers, actually, is this complex system of combat. Um, and I think it, it does end up working in the game's favor, even though it does seem like it could be a detriment to it, especially at the start. At the very least, it's one of those games that has such a dedicated fan base because now that they've taken all this time to put into mastering this game, they can speak about it. There's plenty of YouTubers that will garner 600,000 views on a video talking about the original Xenoblade Chronicles um, because they got good at it. And now people come to them because of the complexity of the game searching for answers. So it certainly is complex, but Josh is exactly right. Very rewarding when you can get it right. Speaking of complexity, the campaign is over 50 hours long. Yeah, it could be 100 depending on how like how much time you put into side quests and yep. um, just exploring. And there's a lot of grind that you have to yep. do. So and depending on the level of difficulty that you're playing at. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a meaty game. <laughs> yes, meaty for sure. I, I don't even want to log in and look at how many hours I put in. I think when I finished the main story, I'd put in 89 hours. 89 when I finished the final the main story. And here's the thing. Here's where here's where it also becomes an even rich. Here's where you take the complexity of a of a, a storyline and make it richer than its um I want to say peers, um, because I want to make a comparison to Breath of Wild in a second. Once you finish the game, you have the option of retaining all of the stats that you have and the leveling up and the affinity and starting over from scratch. So then you're just perpetually leveling as you play this game. And I find that very interesting because the way the story ends, you do want to start over. It's in a sense, I don't know if I want to give away spoilers. You haven't finished it. I don't know. I feel like I can talk about it without giving away. It is a 10-year-old game. so I guess that's true. That is true. So essentially, at the end of the game, the two giant individuals that have living beings on them are destroyed, both of them, um, through a series of events. So you are, at the end of the game, left with the fragmented pieces of your world, right? You're, that's it. That's how the game ends. And so you start a new game all the way from scratch as if none of that happened, and then um, you go through again, but you get to retain all of your levels. So the game changes a little bit. You get to take on higher-level monsters. You get to take on... And you can continue leveling, which is a pretty decent process. Like, it doesn't take too many fights, not more than is necessary. I'd say, like, it depends, but 10 to 15 good fights to hit the next level. Yeah. And the fights only last 20 seconds. So you're, you're, you can grind away, but in a day, you can level multiple times. And I think the progress that they, they pace you on is really satisfying. JRPGs are known for their grind. Um, and it can be difficult to hit the stride of a good grind system. And Xenoblade does that. I completely it's agree. It's a solid, you actually kind of want to grind. Yeah. Like, just naturally, it is enjoyable because of the combat system. Um, and they don't make it too egregious and too intense where you're going to be spending hours and hours doing it. Um, I mean, at a time, anyway. So it's a good perfect right in between so i could see that being a good incentive to jump back into the game especially well how what level did you end the game at so i i thought i wanted to level all the, so there's a moment and we talked about this in the game of the year podcast 
um, go listen to that episode where in Xenoblade, you come out onto the the largest map to that point, and you see this creature in the distance that's a level 80. And if you've gone like story, 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 and haven't gra- like uh, you haven't done anything to level up really as all like your bare minimum. Yeah, he's going to be at least seventy five levels above of you. Like he's way up there. Like you would die by looking at him. <laughs> so there's that moment of awe. And so I just thought I want to come back and beat that guy. Right. So I leveled up. I did all the side, not all of them, but I did as many side quests as I could tolerate. Uh, I constantly was going through my task inventory and picking up new tasks all the time. I was trying to armor, level up my armor, my weapons, and my characters, and all that stuff, and just grinding away, doing the AP points, uh, and the arts, and all that stuff. And I got up to level 75 when I finished the game. So quite a bit. And I say quite a bit because you kind of cap out around 120 is when things like, that's the super bosses, are like level 120. So you start to cap out around that, that part. Um, so I was like, I'm going to get to that part. I didn't realize the game had a, a cycle I'll say a cycle. I don't really know if there's a technical name for it. The fact that you retain your level and then play again. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've only played one other game that was like that. I can't remember the name of it, but I didn't know that. So I was like, oh, I got to get all the way up there. And then I finished the story thinking it would not end the way it did and that I'd still have the world to play in at my level and it ends up not being necessary. So just be prepared for that when you play the game. But um, but yeah, that was interesting. Does it so you put in more time and into the game and the narrative and the story does it hold up for that length of time just is it worthwhile would you say to see through from the narrative side of things i think from the mechanic side of things from the leveling up side of things it stays enjoyable it's it feels good to get to the point where you can take on a level 70 enemy yes um and then turn around and wipe out the level 10 dude with one slash Uh, oh yeah doesn't mean but from a narrative side of things would you say that it sticks the landing that it holds up that it's enjoyable through the whole thing throughout the whole yes and answer your question yes and one of the reasons why is like throughout this once you realize what's going on you've already invested Woo! i mean they don't they don't take the cover off your eyes and let you know what's actually going on until you are way into the story way into it and then you know there's still twist endings and, and twist plots and whatever else and the final boss fight is difficult. Uh, uh, and I was playing on normal mode and had to give it plenty of tries because it was more of a, I can't go back and grind. I have to beat this guy now kind of a thing. So it, it there's a lot of narrative uh, concepts that they play with. And I think they play with them really well. And one of them is that the Bionis has a life cycle. And then the game after you beat it cycles. And I thought that was interesting is that hmm. they had kind of synced up the way that you're going to play the game as well as the narrative. I will say that it does hold up. It's grand. It is. It takes the highest peak that you can achieve and then lets you achieve it. It's it's very satisfying. Um, all, all within the world, all contained uh, within the boundaries. And it makes sense why you win the way that they they set you up to best the boss at the the very end of the game makes sense it'll satisfy all of the questions that you had up until that point it's a very cohesive package that's good Um, i think like just from what i touched as far as the story was concerned like there's a lot of mystery that they build into it and they don't tell you everything up front and there's you know parts of the world itself that you don't fully understand parts of the destiny of you know the monado and shulk and everything that they they tease at and 
Um, I didn't get to all those reveals, but I'm glad to hear that they do end up being satisfying and answering those questions because it's certainly it, it's like playing through four seasons of an anime. Like, oh yeah, that's how much just pure plot there is in this thing. Yeah. Um, and it does a good job, at least from what I've touched, of keeping it interesting consistently, adding in character moments. You get to know more about these people. Um, you get to, you know, explore the ramifications of different elements, like Shulks being able to see the future and stuff. Um, they do good. They they do good capitalizing on those concepts, from what I understood. So to keep it going is a big feat in and of itself, and glad to hear that they do they do because of this whole there's life on the mechanis and there's life on the bionis it it puts this juxtaposition of who deserves to get to live and then that question that question is answered at the end of the the whole plot the whole story uh who decides who who gets to live and uh how do we decide to do this and how do we divvy this up and should we have um uh, conversations about about these kind of things and is it even uh right to be entertaining these types of ideas and uh, it, it really brings big questions about the universe and, and, and everything like that into the uh, world of the game and then answers them, allows you, you to answer them as well. So I would say definitely big payoff, um, but it does take a long time. <laughs> yeah. That's a long story, man. Yeah. One of the longest I've ever played. Now, I think the other... How long does it take you to play through the full Elder Scrolls, Skyrim, Alduin, and all that stuff? I don't know. I think it's I, close, I probably close actually. It I, th- I think it's pretty close. I think if you were to go through, because you have to level to a certain point at each, you know, they want you to level before you do certain things. And also there's so many ways to get sidetracked in Skyrim mm. that it's unclear of like where the main plot deviates from these major branches of the tree that are the whole core of the game. Mm-hmm. But as far as like length of plot, Skyrim finishing that whole thing is takes a similar amount of time, I guess. That's you about can, half amount of time, but it's still a long. I was gonna say time. you can mainline Skyrim and yeah. get through it probably quicker than you could Xenoblade that's, for sure. That's probably true, yeah. But it's um, a well, that's a that's a issue that a lot of JRPGs have for me is keeping the momentum going for that entire length of time. I usually burn out because of that. Like either I'm not fully invested in the characters in the way that they want me to be, or it's just getting to the point where it feels a little bit too random and I lose sight of that end goal, what have you. Um, so that is, and it's a big part of the game. You're going to be putting a lot of hours into that. And so you want to be satisfied at the end of it. Um, so Xenoblade does a really great job of setting up a fantastical premise of giving you characters that seem kind of straightforward and perhaps have a little bit more nuance to them as they go along and you get invested in them and you get interested in, the dynamics of them and um, each of them are, are, you know, weird and funny and um, unique in their own ways and going along on this journey with them is worth it. So I will say um, the next thing we can talk about the characters, you're exactly right. The plot makes them all compelling and Shulk is in my opinion, one of the most likable characters. It's a good thing that they do not have an annoying protagonist. Sure. Have you ever seen a game or a show with an annoying protagonist? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh it is the worst. It's like, how could you not? What? So yep. I will say that the game does have a system called the affinity system in which the more time you make characters spend together, the greater their affinity grows. 
of in five different levels. And that actually takes longer to grind than just pure leveling. Um, but it does pay off. You have greater chemistry. Um, you have reduced um, what's called, I'll just call it momentum. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but you get less discouraged in battle when your attacks don't land, which is a, gotcha. a okay, yeah. process I, of the leveling. I do remember that. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. But um, but you get kind of crestfallen when you don't land it. So the affinity works, but the characters also have affinity build up based on these like kind of cliche one-on-one moments. I say cliche, not all of them are, but some of them are, where they you get two characters and they have a little dialogue and you have to guess what the right answer is to improve the relationship between the characters. Mm-hmm. It's like Josh asks me, Jared, do you like vanilla or chocolate? And I like look at him, I'm like, hmm, what does he want me to say? That kind of a thing. And then I say vanilla, we're both disappointed and our life moves on. So the the that there's moments like that they call heart to hearts. <laughs> Which, you know, big brawny man playing this fighting video game. I don't know if I want to have a heart-to-heart. But but they're there. And they work to level you up in, in affinity. And then there's the affinity chart, which is all of the characters that you've met and can have unique dialogue with can have relationships with each other. And they partially deteriorate or improve based on how you approach them. So the world is truly grand. It's a community that extends throughout the length of the Bionis. And dense in good ways. Dense in good ways. So... Uh, we we talk about the Bionis and then Shulk's traversal, and I just want to clarify that real quick. You start at the foot of the Bionis. It's this towering creature that stands in a uh, a world covered in water, and it's just the two creatures, the Mechanis and the Bionis, and um, they stand in water at you know at tension with each other because the sword is is attacking one from the other, so they are connected in a way. But you start from the foot, and then you go to the calf, and then you go to the thigh and then the back of the Bionis, and the arm of the Bionis, and then you get on the Mechanis. And from each of these perspectives um, is a breathtaking view of the whole world, which is another thing that just boggles my mind every single time I see it. And puts this game above its peers. I know we've said that a couple times, but it really does. Like The the vistas, the environments, especially in the Switch version, are just fully realized and being in this world in and of itself is a treat uh, from the Gower plane to the forest, which feels like you're like literally going through like a forest from Lord of the Rings or something yep. like that. And seeing all the different creatures that are there and um, just, just taking in the different aspects. There's a ton of verticality to it. Yes. That I thoroughly appreciated. Like you can go up on a re- like high cliffs and just dive off of a thing into like the water below. Yep. And you're falling like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yards. It feels like. Um, so there's a lot. It's not just flat. You're not going just straight in one direction. They have a lot of layers to this world. Um, and I'd say that's a testament and a tribute to the the way that just they took the concept of the Mechanis and the Bionis and actually fully realized that um, in a way that makes a lot of other games just feel a whole lot less inventive. Um, lots of open world games, especially so. because this was invented in 2010. Yeah, you you see you see the ambition and the vision that these people had, and and you wonder why Nintendo thought that this wouldn't have worked in the west at yeah. the time because there is something truly special about this and it is captured over and over and over with all the different places you go to on the bionis and the mechanis this, the places that we're talking about vary anywhere from being inside the bionis and deal like fighting antibodies from the lung 
like yeah like at one point aren't you like in a different creature too like yeah you're, yeah so you and then con- contrasted with being inside the mechanus which is a fully mechanical world so it's a totally different vibe totally right. different vibe so you vary from being on the foot of the bionis and when you look up you see the bionis above you and you see the mechanus in the distance and that giant sword spanning the gap between them then you get to the bionis's thigh and you you looking up the kneecap and you see across the distance the mechanus slightly different from a different perspective and there's views in the different things that you could see and um just massive world and all done from the perspective of these two creatures and then you get to the head of the mechanus and you're looking directly across at the bionis the one that you spent hours and hours climbing up just to come across and to look back and different things like that you cross the sword itself it's called sword valley um there's a whole snowy world that is the entire right arm of the bionis and it's scaled so that you start at the top of the arm and then walk direct like at an angle drastically down the arm of the bionis and then exit out its thumb onto the sword crazy that's crazy crazy to think about this as i was playing the game i was like how did they even come up with this idea <laughs> and then decide you're going to go through the thumb to get to the sword, <laughs> which is the Bionis is gripping, right? Just to, it's crazy how they arch, uh, orchestrated this and created the architecture for these two creatures. And they, I would think like having the original concept and even when I first saw like trailers of it and whatnot, I would have thought that it would have felt a lot more limited or limiting just having, just for the sake of like thinking of the earth, you have because it's a globe you just have a wider stretch of land to deal with but they use every part of oh, yeah. these giant creatures to the fullest effect and continue to surprise you and throw in biomes and things that you wouldn't necessarily be expecting um in really effective ways throughout it so the world itself is like that and the combat i would say are the two best things about this game and where it shines above other JRPGs, other video games, and really any other medium that you would dive into to try to experience Xenoblade is up there at the top tier of just unique, powerful, effective, ambitious, and um, well pulled off. You're going, you're going everywhere from, like I said, the lung of the bionis to a marsh, to a snowy arm, to every. It, fully fully realized as very uh, as varied as possible and that's necessary i think because you might get bored with the landscape if it was just yeah. the same thing the whole time mm-hmm. i think actually sometimes you kind of get bored with the landscape in like skyrim per set per set sure Everything i mean it looks the same yeah you know yeah um, like i mean thinking about miles morales right now yep, new, york new york is just it's a bunch of different buildings yep and they all, as you're swinging around after a while, they kind of look the same. And yeah, sure, like you could go and see the Empire State Building or they have Avengers Tower and like those ones are much bigger and maybe they're fun to go climb up. But otherwise, like there's a lot of detail, sure. And there's apartments and there's banks and stuff, but it's just all kind of just city after a while. And you're just swinging through it and all kinds of starts to blend together. Um, whereas in this game, you're, you're getting different like culture shocks mm-hmm. depending on where you are every as you explore this world every new part of the map that you unlock will make your jaw drop yeah it's an, it, that it, that was never got old for me i'd come into this new map like Ooh, <laughs> this is massive this is crazy this is I, big i totally agree and i did not expect that from this game so 
one of the things that's unique about it is that it inspired Breath of the Wild. Now, I, the first time I ever heard of Xenoblade Chronicles was in Breath of the Wild. There's a task uh, or a goal or whatever that's unlocked as soon as you get into the game. It's like Xenoblade. It's a it's a callback to that game. It's like we want to honor Xenoblade Red Edition or something. I don't even remember. Well, that's the uh, I think that's the DLC. They have um, the EX that's tasks. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's for two. It's for Chronicles two. There we go. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's it honors Xenoblade, and you can easily see how Breath of the Wild in its massive open world was so beloved by the creators of you know the next Zelda game that they're like, I think we should go with an open world concept. I could easily see, I don't know that that's true, but I almost imagine it had to be because Xenoblade was such a resounding success with its massive open world in Japan. And I'm absolutely positive that it influenced the creators of the Breath of the Wild. And we know it did, but I mean, to what extent, I'm just, it, it was uh, perhaps the catalyst for the decision to make Zelda Breath of the Wild, which we all know and love, to be open world uh, and and certainly was also a crazy success. So Josh, let's talk about the lack of success. I mentioned earlier, I think some of the character moments are cliche. Where do you think some of the game's weaknesses are? The other bi- than the old graphics, of course. Sure. So it is a bit older. Um, although I do think this has enough of its own artistic direction that it's, it stands up regardless. Um, I, I would say the dialogue is goofy. It feels like anime. Yeah. Everyone struggles to, to confess it's their anime feelings. To the max. It's all about honor. <laughs> they re-explain stuff all the time. Yep. Like the fact that Shulk can see the future, they they mention that like yeah. 500 times. Yes. They're like, but you can change the future yeah. like over and over and over. And they yep. say like the Monado all the freaking time. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> and it's done by British people. Yeah. <laughs> the so Monado. All the di- yeah. All the dialogue is, is British. So, I mean, you know, take it or leave it. Um, so yeah, the dialogue is a bit goofy. The other thing I'd say the biggest issue I have with this game is the side quests. Um, they work fine. They're okay. And I like, uh, and this is different from the original when it was first released, that they mark the objective stuff as you're going along. So if there's a little orb thingy on the field near you that you need to collect to finish a side quest that someone sent you on... Um, it's marked for you right there. And it's like, okay, sweet. I'll just swing over and grab that. Or if there's an enemy that you have to go take out for part of the side quest, but he's not like part of the main quest. Um, he'll be marked over there with a little exclamation point above his head. And so it's like, okay, sweet. I can go take him out, but they're just generic. Yes. They're, they're bland. None of them are interesting. I don't think I came across one that had any sort of interesting narrative hook to it. They're just tasks for you to do. Almost 90% of them are just kill three of this enemy or, collect five of this particular flower or whatever it is um and then you move on and they give you experience so you want to do them and you're you're traveling around the world and most of them are based on where you are in that current area so you can easily tackle them but they're kind of throw they're very throwaway not just kind of throwaway and just yeah generic and just based on a lot of other games that i've played they they just they fall incredibly flat for me. Like when I play any open world game and even other JRPGs, um, I, I revel in the side quests and the characters that are introduced and the tasks, the interesting things that they send me to go do or the, the whatever narrative situation plays out for that particular individual, whether it's tragic or funny or bizarre, um, those sorts of things I love in a video game and I, I feel like can be 
some of the best material in a game, and Xenoblade has none of that. I agree. Absolutely. I- like, as far as, from what I saw, and I didn't play the whole game, um, every single side quest was boring and generic and really just seemed like it was tacked on on the side. And it doesn't change. So I played through the whole game. I, I touched most of the main side quest. You do not get... Here, here's the biggest problem. Other than finishing it and just saying you finished it, there's no reward. Like, the rewards do not match the amount of time that you put into some of these really tedious side quests. <laughs> yeah. And some of them have an additional, like, a time constraint. Like, you can only do it during some times of the day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why? It's oddly frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not clear. And also, like, you know, time passes, a minute passes in a second. So you'll see the clock wind down. Like, 5 a.m. will turn to 6 a.m. in 60 seconds. But it's still, like, trying to, because time moves so fast, uh, you're like, you can only do this quest at night. These characters are constantly moving around. They offer you a way to track the 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 quest and the person you need to talk to, but it doesn't always like work, and it's not clear all the time when they're available. And then the whole menu system, this is kind of like a, a technical problem, trying to get to your tasks and the different, like, all right, I got to find this character. I got to know when they're awake because the task has to be completed during this day is a totally different tab. Mm-hmm. So you have to like, all right, this task, what's the name of that person? I got to go back. Oh, I forgot their name. All right. What is it? Pelo Pelo? All right. Whatever. Got to go back. Oh, they're only <laughs> awake during this time. So that gives me like literally a 30 second window <laughs> because it's like got to be done here before they're not in that position again. And then whatever else. And it's just tedious. It is. And then you get like what? Oh, 600 AP. Right. Come on. Yeah. Like, I just put five minutes into doing this, which is literally half my day in the game. <laughs> and I get to get like, what, an armor that because of where I'm at in the game isn't leveled to where I'm at. So mm-hmm. it's useless. And then trying to sell that is tedious. And the merchandising is needlessly complex for one thing. And again, trying to get the different characters. There's no incentive for the side quests. Completely agree. Um, what did you think of the gem crafting? Did you even get anywhere near that? Yeah, that's another like those. There's a couple of systems like the gem crafting that are, I think, a little super superfluous. Yeah. Um, but annoyingly so I, crucial at times. Yeah. Especially with the gem crafting. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, so like th- those sorts of things, I think, are just a, holding it back. It's like one thing too much that you're putting in this game. Um, cut that. You streamline it just enough. Um, to enjoy it and i didn't use it a whole lot to be honest i don't think i needed to a whole lot up until that point um did you enjoy the gem crafting no because i didn't understand it yeah it didn't make sense it's like you can gem craft using these two characters and they do well if their affinity is higher okay i understand that but it was tedious trying to come up with you could build a gem and then if you if you wanted to retain it had to get to a certain level to be viable as a gem. And then if it didn't, you had a cylinder of material left over. But it could be, it, you could only do so many cylinders and sometimes you'd waste materials trying to get a good gem. And also too, you can cap out on certain statistics. Like agility is one of the key components and Dunban especially is a agility-based character. You really want to give him all of the agility because if he's if he's he can draw aggro and then dodge all of the attacks because he has a natural agile play style. So that's really nice, but it doesn't tell you that you top out once you get to 50. So you can have multiple gems that like will way overpower his, his agility and doesn't matter because you're wasting a gem slot, but the game doesn't tell you that. So those are things you have to learn from online YouTubers or something like that, right? because it's not apparent. So the, 
you're exactly right. The side quests, one, the rewards don't match the time you put in. It's very arbitrary. Now, I will say for the side quests, one thing I did appreciate is that it just gives you, if you finish it, it'll be the quest complete. Here's your thing. Yes. You don't have to like run back That's to the person. That's true. That's true. That's nice. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, other systems like the gems, the menus themselves too. Just thinking of something else, um, are a little overly complicated. Now, yeah. from what I understand, they have streamlined them in this one than from the original. Apparently, they were way worse. Um, and just the 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 things like having different characters buried within sub menus and whatnot, and yeah. not being able to figure out where to get to them and stuff like that is, is annoying for sure. Another issue that I have with the game. Yeah, some of the, the the user interface for trying to navigate through the different menus can be tedious, mm-hmm. uh, especially for repetitive things like I should be able to go to my arts page from one click of a button instead of going to the menu, going to arts, going to character, going to setting, and then switching them. Yeah. Right? Like it's 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 annoying at times. Um, and And because of that, it just makes you not want to tamper with the complexity and not want to give yourself that edge which will only frustrate someone who's just trying to play through without over strategizing, you know, cause they don't want to, they don't want to think about it too much. I think people like undervalue the menu system in games a lot, like the developers anyway, um, because I don't know, they just, they just don't think about it, but menus are an integral part for a lot of games. I mean, when we played through Moonlighter, the menus and that thing were amazing. Yes. With how totally. streamlined they were and how while they were put together and like almost benefited the game. Yeah. Um, in the Monster Hunter series, menus are incredibly important. Um, and it's kind of funny. Like video games are the only medium that's like that. Like you have these uh, different menus full of all sorts of bits of information and ways to interact with the game that if done poorly can pull away from it and unfortunately xenoblade kind of suffers from that a little bit there was some options in the menu that were in the main menu that i didn't even use i didn't even go to it's like yeah that's not a and you don't even think to yeah yeah you're like i don't i don't need that that's, <laughs> yeah that's an old what is this and so but then below that, further away, were the ones that I did use all the time. It's like, what? This wasn't really thought well through on some of the, right. the user interface things. I would say that the game, I feel bad. I understand why the developers just like, oh, this menu is exhausting. Just put it all in there and figure it out. <laughs> and let the yeah. players figure it out. Because it's such a complex game that they right. have so much to have to work with. But at the same time, you, you really do hope for a more streamlined version of it. I'm glad it's better. But I guess warning user, you know, play the definitive edition because it's already frustrating as it is. Don't go back and play the, the old Yeah, one. definitely not. No, no. Like, I would say don't try to play the 3DS version. Don't, <laughs> don't try to play the Wii don't version. Dare. This is the way to play this game. And I'm so glad that they went through and made these major adjustments because it does, you know, just smooth out a lot of the issues that the original one had and helps you focus in on the good parts because there are a lot of really awesome parts to this game. Was there anything else that you thought was a drawback for it? One that one thing that I kept noticing is that there was a lot of Ryan bashing. And by that, I mean, like, <laughs> Ryan, the character, is a tank. But they take those stereotypes to the extreme. Yeah, like he's, Dun- the, he's the dum-dum. Yeah. Dum- Dunban as the mentor. R- Ryan as the tank and stupid. Shulk as, like, the depressed antagonist who's, like... <laughs> Always at whoa with his enormous power, and <laughs> and then you know Melia the the side chick who can't express her feelings, Fiora the main chick who can't express her feelings, and Shara Sharla like the loving mother with an ex husband. Like I don't understand, you know. 
and then Ricky's annoying. <laughs> like, <laughs> like in all honesty, the characters, as far as how they interact with each other, it's very anime in the sense that like you just speak so formally and highly, you know, like a lot of shonen characters do. Mm-hmm. But it's also doesn't get you anywhere, and it's not very rewarding because part of it's not relatable. Okay. Um, so that's one thing I kept noticing a lot of Ryan bashing and annoyed me because they kept making fun of him for being dumb and they'd really come down on him. I'm like, this is harsh. (laughs) What the heck? He just did. Ryan does like, do you want him to protect you or not? Buzz off. And then, (laughs) you know, it just annoyed me a little bit because it was too much at times. Uh, it was very stereotypical of the way the characters are laid out. Playing into those stereotypes a lot. I will say that the villains, the villain switches because you're, you're caught. You think someone's a villain and they're not, uh, just like you think some people are allies and they're not. And then there's this weird like Trinity dynamic that goes on with like the spiritual world because the Monado allows Shulk to see the future that changes things, and he's able to communicate with like I don't know. It gets it gets convoluted towards the end as far as what goes on, and they don't really t- like they don't really explain why Shulk is able to. I don't know. Um, it just gets convoluted and confusing towards the end. Like okay. I'd say it's worth it the way they wrap everything up because of the scale of things and the the narrative and, and that tie you know a big old bow on it. Um, they got some, but some of the details in level there, of yeah, like concepts without yeah solid conclusions yes, or exactly. explanations or anything. So while I love the story, some of the details of like the concepts that they talk about are they're big and they're difficult and they're they just kind of some of them fall flat. So that's, those are some small details that I noticed while I was playing the game. But um, I'm trying to think. There's there's this cool... Oh, oh yeah. So you saw the glowy orange thing you go into and you talk to the Nopon Sage and you try to do the special side quest. And you get an S rank or an A rank or whatever. Um, I can't think of what you're referring to. So Gaur plans, after you come out of the cave, there's a glowy orange thing behind you on the left. Okay. The cave of all the people, and you go into it. It's an other dimension where you get to, under special conditions, fight certain monsters or whatever else. Oh, that seems completely pointless to me. There's, I don't understand. Like, you, I, I don't know. I don't like, think I saw that. You get so essentially what it is is a way to you. You do these side quests. You get Nopon Stone. You turn it into the Nopon Sage, and then you get bonus clothing items. Why? Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, you know. Again, another way in which like random chests and loot drops often are better than the actual quests themselves, mm-hmm. which is just not a good. It must be random because it, sometimes you get this really high powered clothing item or armor or whatever it is, and it lasts you through the next three worlds. Like I remember, I got a pair of ruby colored glasses for Melia, and the stats on those things were so good that I did not need to exchange it for any other thing for the like the next five major areas in which you're leveling up considerably. So it's like, I don't know how that works, but some of it was off kilter. I found myself like, why? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, undercuts the effectiveness of going to the stores or trying to do these side quests to get items that way. Yeah. Yeah. So some of it seems pointless uh, at times. You'll be like, why is this here? This seems like uh, superfluous. Yeah. But... um, the game is very satisfying in when you come back to an area to like reconquer it, you know, uh, if you've leveled up enough, more areas of, of each place unlock. And then you, you, um, you're able to go into those different areas and have big boss fights and whatever mm-hmm. else. 
one of the most satisfying things about this game is the monster hunting. And I think that dynamic is really well played out because a lot of them are unique looking. They're alien looking. Yeah. Uh, so so that's a lot of fun, too. Um, the uh, the map, too, I think is a good strength for this game because it is, again, layered. Um, there there are the different kinds of monsters that as you come back to different parts of it, you are rewarded by being able to take those on. And not all of it is revealed at once, which I like. You kind of have to like explore a little bit, go over here to have that particular part of the map show up on your radar and everything like that. Um, and so there is a sense of a, a minor sense of mystery there that I think works fairly well. It's not as integral to the game as it would be in, say, Breath of the Wild, where that sense of mystery and what's around the other corner is like a big part of that game. It's not quite at that level, but it's just enough and more than I would have expected this sort of game to do um, to keep that interesting and fun and playing back. And again, grinding in the game is enjoyable because of that. It's not something that makes you want to bang your head against the wall. Um, So I appreciated that. There is a couple of times. uh, uh, One thing where the game falls short is uh, on the map, the completion side of things you only get to unlock the whole map as far as everything becomes visible to you once you've unlocked every single landmark that you could fast travel to, to and from. And there's one map in particular, Aerith Sea. I never discovered the whole map. I didn't know where it was. I was like, I don't know where the final... Because you have to like run by it or like be near it. But that one specifically is Floating Islands. It's up on the top of the oh. Bionis. So you have a Floating Island map and then underneath it is water. So you're... If you fall off, you're swimming, you fast travel back up. But like the way it's laid out is really hard to complete that map specifically. And there's other ones that are the same way. It's like it's just tedious trying to uncover the whole map. And for me, an RPG is is a lot about the exploration. With Link, it was better because you could actually see different areas that were unexplored from the map by zooming in. Right. Like you use that in Gerudo Plains a lot. You're like zoom in. Oh, shoot. It's like I need that area. Once you unlock the, yeah. you know, the tower, and the use, tower, then the whole area technique. is open. Right. Yep. With this, it's like it's obscure, but for no reason. It's not like hmm. because the quests tied around fighting the big monsters are given to you, so you don't need like you use a landmark to get close to it, and then you travel to it. Right. You on foot. But as far as exploration, there's no bonus given for exploration. They don't. It's true. So they don't make it a point to say, here, explore everything. But when you're looking at your map as a wholesale and half of it's dark because you just didn't happen to find the last landmark, it's annoying at times. So I think Breath of the Wild fixed it, right? (laughs) Breath of the Wild fixed it. But, you know, Josh and I are ending on a more, I wouldn't say sour note, but we're talking about because we want you to be aware of its shortcomings. It's a great game. Um, It's just you can tell that it's not perfectly polished because it was the the progenitor of a lot of these open world games and what they did wrong. Everyone else got right. Um, but it goes hard. It does. This game goes hard. And a lot of the aspects that come from that aren't necessarily the best. You kind of wish that they had pulled back a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it goes hard is also one of its strongest aspects. It's so unique to end on a positive note. I will point out one of the other things I really loved about this game, and that is its music. Oh, man, how could we forget? This game slaps 
dude. <laughs> it do. It is so good. Like it is orchestral, but yes, um, but exciting, exciting, and beautiful. Serious. Yeah, beautiful. Like that first moment when you get out onto Gower Plain. And yes, like the the music just starts to swell, and you're just like, oh my gosh, what am I in for? Rich, um, like a a trio of rich violins. Da, 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 yeah. And it's like big, and it's oh man, you're exactly right. It's amazing. Can't even believe we yeah. forgot that iconic and while like well paired with the fantastical world and the um, amazing quests that you're going on it all just works incredibly well and it's not generic like that can be a really easy pitfall for any sort of video game is that the music just kind of is there and is blah um, but xenoblade is not that way at all it is fantastic you'll go from gower plains um you know, orchestral rich music that feels breathy and wild. You can like feel the fresh air coming out of the TV yeah. <laughs> with the music. It's incredible. It's breathing on you, man. It, it, <laughs> in the best way. Uh, COVID. But the <laughs> but then if an enemy targets you, immediately the mood just switches completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if you target an enemy that's just out of your reach and the game's telling you like you're in for it, buddy. It's this it's this riff on an electric guitar that's like you're gonna die <laughs> it's awesome i can't even yeah. believe we forgot about that but the the music yeah absolutely right uh it's so rich so well well done and put together uh yeah gower plains is the best soundtrack for sure it's because really good it's so close to the beginning and you just step out and mm-hmm. it's the world it's right there and i think they did probably put their best soundtrack for that spot it's such a crucial moment that like gets you to fall in love and out of liking into love with this game so yeah totally agree with you Great music. One other thing I wanted to say about combat, well, actually a bad thing. The only part of the combat um, outside of its complexity that I didn't like is that everyone is talking. Oh, you don't like that? I didn't like that. So that's so funny that you say that. Lucy says the same thing. She's like, can you turn your volume down? That's so annoying. Yeah, they're all like, well, 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 like saying whatever it is yeah. and like all talking over each other at the same time. Yes. Yeah. And it's just like, you can go in, I figure out you can go in and turn it off. I didn't know that. But sometimes some of the things they're saying are interesting or like they're warning you about something. So like it's kind of crucial. So I kind of wish there was a middle ground there somewhere and there's just not. What he means is that Ryan will say like, uh, iron fist. (laughs) He like punches and Shulk will be like backslash. And then, and they're all saying all the same time, all the same time, all happening at the same time. So it can be kind of annoying. And then you got that weird Ricky's like, Ricky's angry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All at once. And then, but you, uh, Josh is right. You do have to listen for it. So if that annoys you, those cliche like yelling out your your moves when you do them, like in <laughs> in an anime, then yeah, I you're can gonna see be that having that happen a lot. <laughs> so yeah, but so Josh, the final verdict is here, my friend. All right. So we, you know, have put a couple games into the Hall of Games based on us just getting this sense that we think they deserve to be there. You know, and I. I think that there's very few games that actually do deserve to be in the Hall of Games. You know, stand on your own two feet, be on your own merits, and and we'll decide to put it in or not. It's not just like kind of like a nepotistic legacy. Oh, well, it's part of this franchise, or oh, everyone loves it, so we have to put it in. But in many ways, this game, though imperfect in its original form and now more perfected, though still not without its flaws, was the front runner of the right way to create a JRPG that grinds nicely, that has just rich narrative story and, you know, characters. And then obviously the music and the vibe and the mood and the world and the setting. I think personally that 
it deserves to be uh, given a place in the Hall of Games because of when it was made and just the foundation that it laid going forward. Um, that's my biggest argument for the game. What do you think? I I want to put it in the Hall of Games as well. I do. We talked about a lot of its flaws. Um, and it is an imperfect game, but it is a crazy concept that they pull off and the combat is so fun and satisfying and it does things that other games even to this day yep. can't quite nail That's exactly even right. um i've played xenoblade chronicles 2 its sequel and this one i think does some of the things that uh 2 is trying better than than 2 did um so even within its own you know um franchise it kind of stands above in a way and yeah it's 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 certainly not perfect but there is something special about this game and i do really want to at some point go back take the time to just go all the way through um because when it clicks it clicks good and it is a fantastic game as a whole and you're right like based on the time that it came out the way that it has inspired other things going forward um it is an integral i'd say jrpg um and from that perspective video game as a whole um so i i have no issue with putting it in the hall of games there we go our next and latest entry into the hall of games xenoblade chronicles definitive edition i think we should make that distinction um yes definitive edition absolutely with all the facelifts and the and the changes improvements improvements Mm -hmm. uh excellent game would highly highly recommend uh and yeah yeah Yeah, and the hall like just to clarify we're not putting in perfect game that's true that is these are just dang good video games it's kind of the qualifier and you know each game has its own different merits i you know i i kind of looking back even thinking about specifically nino cooney um wonder if maybe we were a little bit too quick to put it in yeah but what like that game really stands on its own two feet based on the heart of it yes based on the the charm and just this it just it just has a big heart and that's totally different from um uh, other games that we put in there like um axiom verge or um fortnite yeah or fortnite like fortnite is a totally different reason for being in there yes but it has its own unique merits that maybe can't be directly compared. And we don't have specific metrics that we're using for the hall of games for that reason. All of these experiences are just so vastly different from the other, and they all have different things that um, really do put them above the rest. And so Xenoblade, though it's not perfect, um, certainly not. um, There's just some magic to it that um, is super unique to games as a whole to any sort of entertainment as a whole so it certainly should be recognized and put in the hall of games yep and absolutely worth every penny you would pay uh to have it in your own collection so absolutely highly recommend well guys that is our episode for today congratulations jared on your first hosting episode thank you so much of the podcast you did a great job everyone listening be sure to tell a friend about the podcast drop us a five star only five stars review (laughs) and check out our past episodes for more backlog in-depth conversations and of course uh josh and i try to write so if we do put something out we would appreciate your support in that Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen i hope you agree with our decision on xenoblade and if you don't Tell us why on Twitter, Josh. 
Until then, this is the video game bard. What's that special phrase you're saying? <laughs> I wanted you to say it. Oh, you wanted me. I wanted to you to say it. it. It's okay. I was like, that's you not me. You said Josh, and I was like, what are you queuing me up for? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, until then, this is the video game bard signing off.